It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, you're listening to a new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and it's webbing time as we discuss Madam Web. <laughs> I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. Now, Madam Webb tells the origin story of one of Marvel Publishing's most mysterious heroines. The film follows paramedic Cassandra Webb, of course, who develops the power to see the future and realises she can use that insight to change it. Forced to confront her past, she forges a relationship with three young women bound for powerful destinies. If they can all survive a deadly present. Madam Webb is directed by S.J. Clarkson, who has mainly worked in television up until this point, a very accomplished TV director. And it's written by the writing team Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless, who brought us Morbius, with first-time feature writer Claire Parker and S.J. Clarkson, from a story by Karem Sanger, Sazama and Sharpless. Madam Webb stars Dakota Johnson, Sydney Sweeney, Isabella Merced, Celeste O'Connor, Tahar Rahim, Mike Epps, Emma Roberts, and Adam Scott. Right, Tim. <laughs> right, Lee. <laughs> Let's get this out of the way quickly because people are absolutely trashing this film and I suspect mm. that our review may head down the same road. But I want to make it different, okay? Let, let's try and explain to people exactly why it's getting the reactions that it's getting. And I guess, should we begin how the movie begins with just a shitload of exorbitant Exposition? <laughs> yes. <laughs> exhibition on a silver platter, like exhibition on a silver platter that I've never seen before. Mm. It is so intense, isn't it? Yeah. So the film's set in 2003, okay, mm. for reasons which are spoilers, and we don't do spoilers, not even in, in this episode. But most people will be able to figure out why it's set in 2003, although bafflingly, it never reveals the reason in the film. 
This film loves to revel in a whole bunch of Spider-Man Easter eggs, things that are connected to that universe, Mm. but they never actually go there. It's just always hinted, implied, but to the point of utter hair pulling out because Mm. just say it, just just make it really obvious because they're kind of thinking they're being a bit cheeky and fun, but they're just being Mm. um, frustrating (laughs) in the way they handle it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong, I guess, with alluding to things. You you look back at a film like Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters films, and they shove a heap of Easter eggs in there. They maybe hit us over the head with the Easter eggs in that film. Mm. So you want like a balance walked. It's really hard, really hard to walk that line. But this one just doesn't even go there at all. I think people who aren't deep fans of Spider-Man and the comics won't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, they'll just highlight them as that was never explored or explained. That's a plot hole. Yes. Even though if you're in in on the lore, in on the context of, you know, mm. what's to come or the the stories in the peripherals, you'd be sitting there going, what the hell are they talking about? It's so confusing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At the beginning of the film, we meet Cassandra Webb's pregnant mother mm. and her dodgy chaperone in the Peruvian jungle who are researching spiders. And funnily enough, that, that line that everybody made fun of from the trailer is not in the film anymore. Do you reckon, it's really interesting, which is quite common though, friends, because we often do see things in trailers or way lines are said that are never actually materialized in the final product. Mm. And there could be a myriad of reasons for that. It could be it's pulled from an old edit and they've just re-edited something, the structure of a scene, Mm. or it's just specifically pulled together in that way to get more information out for the Mm. purpose of a trailer, which is meant to hook you in in a really short period of time, but how the dialogue or the scene plays out in the film may be split over multiple scenes or may just play out slightly different. But my question to you is, do you think that's the reason or were they like, oh my God, we need to rework (laughs) this line because we just got absolutely pulled over hot coals for it? I think it's the latter. I think they would take that line (laughs) out of there. That's terrible. Yeah, well, my suggestion to the screenwriters, which there are many, many fingerprints on this script from a story and screenwriting perspective, which is just insane to think that the product that we got resulted in a writing room so big than that, Mm. that they couldn't pull together a cohesive story. But I would suggest they probably needed to rewrite most of the dialogue in this film, but I guess that's an impossible task. The dialogue was was truly terrible in this film and a lot of it comes down to not being earned. Mm. And so I wonder if um, Dakota Johnson has come out in interviews and said that the script that ended up filming is actually significantly different to what she signed on for. Yeah. And there's a bit of reading between the lines in that, that maybe she's not so happy with the end product either. Well, no. And can I just share what that potential story was going to be? Because I this is the movie that I want to see, although mm. not particularly original, it would have been really exciting. So the original screenplay was described as a darker and very Terminator-inspired it would have seen Madam Webb and the Spider Women trying to protect a pregnant Mary Parker from Ezekiel Sims who wants to kill her to prevent the birth of Peter Parker. That's the movie that yeah, I want to see. That's the movie. But what they've done is tried to make Madam Webb more central mm. and give an origin story for her. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But Yeah, absolutely. From what I understand, Madam Webb doesn't even have her own comics. 
Like she's not a, a hero in the comic land. She's a supporting character. Right. So she just shows up in other people's comics and stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So she's been pulled up to be a main character, which there's nothing wrong with. Like it's interesting finding these characters and shining a light on their interesting abilities. And as a character, I actually find her really interesting. I was quite excited for this film. But I think where they've gone wrong is in the dialogue. Okay. A lot of it's not earned. So, for example, she turns up in the Peruvian jungle and meets a man who's going to help her. And within five seconds, he's like, do you trust me? Like, eh, well, no, just met you. So, no. <laughs> yes. It's so cookie cutter, cliche, yeah. basic sort of things that they feel need to be said. And I really like your phrase that you use and you've used it a few times because you have to look at bad movies in a different way to try and understand, like you said, how, how did it end up this bad? Mm. And it's, Dialogue that isn't earned. It's the perfect way of trying to make sense of this. Nick LeBarrow, our friend of Nick's Flicks Fix, myriad of many 700 podcasts that he does. <laughs> yeah. He was saying to me when we were talking, he said the script felt like a first draft. And it's so true. It's almost like they just threw these words and, and things and these mm. character interactions together. They had every intention of going back and adding a bit of polish to it. Mm. But then they never did. And that's the script that they shot with. Because we meet this bad guy, for example, as I said, this dodgy chaperone in the Peruvian jungle. And why is he dodgy? Who knows? Because it's never explained what this villain's real motivation is yeah. beyond the MacGuffin that he wants to find these three spider teens who will likely murder him in the future. Mm. Why will these future heroes want to murder him? Who knows? That's never explained either. But he will tell a woman that he's just met a whole heap of irrelevant information so that we understand that he doesn't want to be murdered. It's that whole show-don't-tell thing. Yes, it is the whole show don't tell thing. And stuff that they show is never fleshed out and it's never in the present. All the cool stuff happens in the quote-unquote future that he thinks is going to happen. Mm. And we never actually see much cool shit in terms of mm. the characters. It's every, it's just one big cock tease, this movie, about all the cool stuff <laughs> that these characters may or may not be able to do. And it's really fucking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is disappointing that they gave no time to the backstory or the character development beyond that right. heavy amount of exposition at the beginning of the film. Mm. Because I feel, you know, not to trash it completely, there was something really good there in turning this awkward loner in Cassandra Webb into a maternal leader of young superheroes. Mm. And there was there was a heart there that really could have been explored a bit better instead of feeling like a setup for future films. That's so true. It is just one big setup. And I mean, yes, it's kind of what an origin story is. But in order for you to be interested in the story it's trying to tell and for you to be emotionally invested in these characters, you have to write them in a way that is interesting, mm. that is compelling, that they actually explore the inner depths of who they are in some context. God, this movie is like dripping in potential. Mm. There's some really cool themes in there. There's some really cool sort of cultural things. The spider people, right, mm. that, that are in the Amazon, that this mysterious, very rare spider that they encounter obviously bites a whole lot of people that you assume, you know, that's how things happen, I guess. How that spider is integral in their culture, why those people operate and believe certain things. Mm. All it is, it just looks like 
those bloody sped up twilight running scenes through <laughs> the trees. That's all we really yeah. get about these spider people. It's like Bella and Edward, <laughs> you know, zooming about on each other's backs. It's fucking bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, I really liked the bones of the story. As you said, it's dripping in yes. potential. The beginning of the film and the camera shots and the choices that are made by the cinematographer play like a Michael Bay or Antoine Fuqua action or like one of those Chicago fire shows. And I was really invested at the beginning of the film. I enjoyed all that exciting stuff with Cassie and her partner Ben, played by Adam Scott, zooming about saving people's lives and, and all the action that went with that. And even the funny little lines when she's in the hospital and she's super awkward with children they were laying that foundation for her not being a very maternal character and they could have gone with it it would have been really interesting you're right there was a nice foundation of chemistry between her and ben parker at the beginning of the film that never went anywhere Mm. and yes she's not meant to come across as maternal she's actually quite aggressive she's quite rude she's Mm. very abrupt and Where it played out as like, oh gosh, okay, she's got a history and she's got baggage and stuff. For me, she just became really, really unlikable and annoying. Mm. I really couldn't stand her most of the film. Did she have baggage? What was her baggage? (laughs) I mean, I'm being facetious here because we know she has baggage (laughs) and we know what what it was supposed to be, but it didn't play out. I thought you hated me. Yeah, beyond that, beyond one line later on where she says about her mother, I thought she hated me. She hated me. Did you? I didn't get that. Until that line, I didn't understand that she resented her mother. Not at all. It just came out of literal nowhere, which is why you got such a visceral reaction from the audience in the cinema that we saw it with because it was so like, what do you mean she's saying that her, she thought her mother hated yeah. her. Where the hell did that come from? It was so soap operatic. Yeah, and it came across like that because of the way it was just shouted out out of the blue. Exactly. Can we talk about the audience interaction just a bit while we're on this? <laughs> yeah. There were two movies that we were watching. We were watching Madam Web and then we were watching the audience watching and reacting <laughs> to this yes. movie. It became some sort of like cheer chant squad that whenever some – awful dialogue presented itself people reacted so so strongly yeah. to these words and it actually became <laughs> dare i say it actually became quite fun to be in that cinema yeah there was someone up the back of the cinema who was just absolutely in fits of laughter <laughs> yeah. and it was making everyone else around him laugh because <laughs> he just would, he was he was having a great time for the wrong reasons can i share one of my favorite lines of dialogue yeah. favorite in terms of it was best of the worst of the best bunch. Sure. The context behind this scene may be lost on those that haven't seen it, but it doesn't make sense. It's just so ridiculous how it's written. There's a character who's being handed some really horrible news yeah. and the doctor is saying to them, do you need a tissue? <laughs> and their reaction is, no, I need a cure. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And then that character later says in that scene, are you offering anything other than tissues today? Like, I can't <laughs> believe that tissues came up more than once in that <laughs> sentence to drive a point. It's just one of the best experiences this year I'll have in the cinema. Oh, God. And it's like they blindly picked Naughty's references. Okay, this was set in 2003, which mm. was kind of fun to see the throwbacks. But it's like they spun a wheel and went, here we go. Yes, Lou, use this <laughs> yes. song from the Naughties. One way of putting it. 
think it was a Sugar Babe song, and I, I should have looked this up before we started recording. I can't remember because you turned to me and said, "Why? Why are they? Why is this song on?" Like it had no <laughs> no relevance to the scene whatsoever. But it was just, oh, that's yeah. a cool banger. I remember that from two thousand and three. Yeah, well, exactly. But it's more the point that it came up really loud. Like normally, yes. music is used in a way to connect a scene, maybe, or something's about to happen. Mm. And it was like these characters went walking off through a forest and all of a sudden the music went up really loud and nothing was happening. Like they were just walking through a forest. And then it changed and segued into the song that it should have been, which was Britney Spears' Toxic. Yes. So it just didn't connect in a way that worked with the action that was going on. Yeah, it took you out of it. And the point in the scene that it came up. It was weird. It was incredibly jarring, wasn't it? Mm. Because the actions of the characters was already incredibly jarring. And then they made an audible choice to throw this song in in a weird way. And it's just like, hold on a minute. I have so many questions with what's <laughs> happening right now. Exactly. Let's talk about the action and the special effects because that's going to be a fun one. Mm. There is an Oscar-winning director of photography on this film, Mauro Fiore, who won the gold statue for his work on Avatar. You're joking. High quality. He's hot shit, right? But you see it in his work at the beginning of the film. As I said, he's worked with Antoine Fuqua many times. He's worked on Training Day. That's where he cut his teeth. So you can see that in the beginning of the film. You can see the influences there. You absolutely can. Yes. The Equalizer. He's worked on Spider-Man No Way Home. As I said, he's hot shit. He knows what he's doing. And you can see that in the beginning. Then where it starts to fall apart is is towards the end. Like I, I don't want to say fall apart. I think the cinematography was really good. Mm. I think it was really good. Where it falls apart is the CGI. Yeah, it's the marriage of the two that undid the good work or the or the intended good work of the DOP. Just in general, and I think I think you have figured it out. It's it's the CGI pair with the photography. I was really dizzy most of the film. Mm. I know the intention of the DOP was to offer some kaleidoscope feel, but the camera work in those when she's projecting into the future and piecing the truth together and making decisions, it was so choppy. I actually wrote in my notes, I am dizzy as fuck um, <laughs> on, on my page. Like it, it was really disorientating in terms of, what is it, that spatial awareness and where the characters Mm. were, that it was quite a ride to sit through. One thing that I I I do want to celebrate about this film is the amount of work that had to go into creating her visions, right? Not not the woo-woo CGI visions that you're talking about that were all choppy and you don't know what the hell was going on. But when she sees Mm. what's about to happen and then has to break it down and go back and fix things, right? The way that had to have been filmed... Was had to been filled so many times with so many different changes and slight changes. You have to keep track of where things are, who's got their jacket on, who's standing where, who's holding the skateboard this way, and then just change it slightly for each vision. And the amount of work that would have had to have gone into that is incredible. And I think they pulled that off really, really well. Do you know what? I'll I'll give you that. It was pretty exciting how that was pieced together from an editing perspective, and it, and you were leaning in in those moments. I think where those didn't really land for me was because from a story and script perspective, they never explained or explored that properly. So there was a lot to appreciate visually, but then from a story perspective, it never it never just connected. It Nothing ever gelled mm. cohesively. So that was just a real shame because there was some good stuff in there. Yeah. A lot of hard work went into that. Completely agree. 
Um, maybe they just needed to do a bit more practically. You know, there's a scene with Cassandra Webb where she falls into the water and she has one of those visions and it's all CGI. And, of course, you know, animating people with CGI is really hard. We've talked about this at length on Popcorn Podcast. There's no way we could do it, so hats off to the people who can, but it just doesn't come across that well on screen. Maybe they could have used some avatar techniques to do it or maybe they just could have done a bit more in-camera stuff with her in the water. And, you know, there was quite a bit of in-camera stuff, which was really cool. A lot of the earlier scenes when she's out saving people in her ambulance and Mm. all, all those sorts of great shots and things. So there was intention and there were choices to do all of that. And then when you put characters in front of blue screen, it really does take you away from it and make you wonder why couldn't they do Mm. this like they did some of the other scenes earlier on in the film. And on one hand, they built the entire diner set and actually crashed Mm. a car into it twice. That's cool. That was a really cool scene. Yeah. So you can do something on that scale to that level, but not put her in the water with a camera. Yeah, and then how that stands out is so different from one another. We have a really quality set piece like the diner and that actual in-camera action of the car smashing through, which is fucking sick. And then you have the climactic scene, which literally takes place on top of a Pepsi-Cola sign. The overt placement of Pepsi in this movie (laughs) was so distracting that literally the climax takes place on a Pepsi sign. It's like, okay, we get it. They paid a lot of money to be in this movie. In a building full of fireworks for some reason. Naturally. But that was just a a visual mess and it was such a shame because that did not come together well at all Mm. because it was just blue screen, green screen flying everywhere and you couldn't tell what was going on. When you're talking about the Pepsi overt Pepsi placement, I found that really jarring throughout the film as well, all the naughties references, you know, like the giant Mm. Beyonce crazy in love sign and yes. and a car crashing through a Calvin Klein ad and a random mention of Martha Stewart in jail. Yeah. It was like they were like, by the way, it's 2003. Oh, did we tell you? It's, it's 2003. Here's another reference to help you. <laughs> it was very, very constant. Just in case you don't know. Otherwise, people won't know it's 2003. They won't know. They'll have no idea. So freaking obvious. <laughs> it even comes up on the screen that it's 2003, yeah. the beginning of the movie. You don't need to go to those lengths. Let's talk about the stars of this film who, look, I'm going to come out and say they're getting a lot of shit, but I think they did a really, really good job with what they had. Okay. Agree. Dakota Johnson, say what you will about her. She can turn in a beautiful performance. She's a talented actress. The beginning of the film, as I said, shows glimpses of what the heart of this could have been and what she can do. Apparently, Dakota Johnson fired her agents after the first trailer debuted (laughs) and was torn apart. So that kind of tells you that she knew what was happening. And it kind of came across on the film. Do you feel like some parts of this film were really, really done like they were giving their all? And then some parts you can tell they've just given up. Yeah. Wouldn't you if you had to read out those words? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, I don't know. I don't know how else to say this. This is where this movie really struggled under the weight of horrendous words. Remember that scene in the woods where she just like abandons the three teenage girls <laughs> in the woods? <laughs> like, what the fuck? And they just, no one asks questions in this movie. They just go along with it. And she is so overtly trying to avoid talking to them to add context none of it, it's like they're asking what's going on you're like oh no time can't be bothered you're all really annoying back there it's just like what the fuck just talk just explain things she said to them she goes don't do anything dumb and then she goes to get in the car comes back no seriously 
don't do dumb things. Like that's what she's saying to the girls <laughs> as she's abandoning them in the woods. Yeah. And she, she struggled with that line and many, but you're right. You could just see how in some scenes they just gave up because yeah. there's just nothing left in the tank. Sydney Sweeney is in this film who is having a moment mm. right now. Obviously we've seen her in Anyone But You, which is going gangbusters and she's, you know, became star in Euphoria. Putting her in a schoolgirl miniskirt is fucking lazy, right? Isn't it? She's gorgeous and she owns her sexuality. We know this, right? But it feels exploitative here, like a lazy dude bro fantasy. Yeah. Right? Why is this character a little bit nerdy but sexy? A little nerdy and sexy and unsure and, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But then will eventually become Spider-Woman. The, the connection was uh, so unclear and very, very distracting. It was like a Britney Spears Hit me baby one more time. She literally yes. looked like she was plucked out of that music video. Yeah. What year was that? Maybe they were going for that. another 2003 <laughs> reference. No, that was 1999. So was a few okay. years prior, but I don't know. It was That's all I could think about. I thought, is that Britney Spears uh, in this movie? It was, just didn't make sense. She did a great job with what she had as usual. I, I think she was really good. Isabella Merced is in this film. She has been in Dora the Explorer film. She's been in Transformers. She's fantastic, but they just they didn't have enough to do besides throwing mm. a few snide remarks at each other. They all, all three of them, and then you have Celeste O'Connor as well in there, all three of them lent into just textbook teenage cliches. Like, I'm sensitive. I don't know my place in the world. I'm going to rebel. I think the one thing that connected them all that they never sort of chewed on the meat of was that none of them felt like they belonged for various reasons and they were coming together to support mm. each other under the guise of, you know, Madam Webb, who's meant to end up being this maternal sort of figure to them. Mm. But there was, oh gosh, didn't you just want to know them more? Yes. Right? I think you mentioned this earlier. You just wanted to get to know these girls because they're meant to become something really, really special at some point. Yeah. But you didn't, you didn't feel anything exciting about them. They end up becoming another prop in this film. They're a prop. Yes. For what purpose? Okay. Perfectly put. L- let me ask you this. For what purpose? What purpose was this film made for? The cynic in me says that it was to set up a highway between other Spider-Man spin-offs. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That's what, it, that's what it seems like. But then at the expense of these really interesting characters that uh, could have been a great standalone film. It's just one of those lazy examples of an origin story they're making for the sake of making it. So when they show up in a quote-unquote more exciting or connected film within the universe, you kind of already mm. know who they are. And it's a real shame because they just they leave all the exciting stuff in the cutting room floor just to get to what ultimately is an end credit scene. For example, even though this movie didn't have any end credit scenes, but it just it's mm. just working its way up to get to the end of the film where all the cool stuff mm. is alluded to. But you had to sit through two hours of uncool stuff to get there. And it's like, Mm. why did I fucking bother? Why did they bother with this movie? Yeah, I mean, at the very least, an origin story like this should be setting up foundational groundwork of a character development. And it just didn't. And the more these kinds of films are used as marketing for future films that may or may not happen, and the catch-22 is they won't happen because they don't get a good reception, the less enjoyable they are. Absolutely. But they're going to keep making them. Because people go and see them, make enough money, and round and round we go. I want to talk about Tahar Rahim, who is a French actor we most recently saw in Napoleon. Right, very, very talented actor. Something obviously went wrong here. 
with his performance yes. because the poor guy looks like he's been dubbed over really badly. Mm. And I don't know if this has been confirmed or not, but like, what did you think about that? Oh, it was so distracting. There are scenes where he is speaking and it's so clearly that he's been redubbed and the camera holds on the character he's talking to for an extensive period of time because clearly they can't cut back to Ezekiel because he's not actually muttering the words that he probably (laughs) said on set that day. And it's like, did they rewrite everything that this character said? And often all the stuff that you hear off camera that he's saying, he just keeps talking, is information overload. So they just keep dumping exposition. He keeps bridging gaps and explaining things. And it's like, was this never in the script and they've had to go away and like Mm. add all this shit in? It was a bizarre, bizarre performance. I also want to quickly mention his offsider, Zosia Mamet, who plays, mm. I think her name was Amaria. What was she? Where did she come from? <laughs> she was like his little tech assistant, but had some maybe qualms about trying to track down some teenagers, but not really. Not really. She was in it for all of five minutes. Oh, I didn't understand any of that. It was almost like she was a complete reshoot that was never there because none of it made sense with the villain and his intentions and how he was going about finding these girls who supposedly were going to kill him in the future. It was a very random in and out character that you're like, where did they come from and why are they there? And what's the relationship here? And what does this villain actually do? Mm. What's his, what's going on? <laughs> the same as Adam Scott's poor character, Ben Parker. Mm. I mean, it's not a spoiler because he's it's on IMDb that he's named as Ben Parker. Mm. That was really fun to see young Ben Parker. Like we had young May in Marisa Tomei in Spider-Man. Yes. He briefly mentions that he's dating someone. We presume it's May. How fun would it have been if it was like a young Marisa Tomei that popped up? (laughs) I kept expecting us to meet this random girlfriend at some point. Me too. But no, it was just kind of, oh, and I'm dating someone. Oh, oh, is that? Oh, it's serious. Oh, cool. And then we move on. And poor Ben's just like floundering around, driving these chaotic women around because they're in danger. And again, he doesn't ask questions. He's just going along with the ride. He just becomes a Uber driver mm. for the latter half of the movie. I mean, there's a hint of chemistry between him and, and Cassandra, a hint of maybe there was something that was going on and didn't quite pan out because the way he says he's seeing someone seems a bit sheepish. Like, Mm. I don't really want to tell you this. And she's a bit like, oh, okay. Okay. Uh I'm emotionally inept. (laughs) I'm emotionally inept. (laughs) (laughs) She Uh. is. Oh, my God. She barely has a pulse. Poor Ben. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Oh, dear. But, yeah, Adam Scott was completely underutilised. He could have been a much more interesting character in this. And put him in it more. Put Adam Scott in everything, please. Give us the Ben Parker origin story. That's what I want to say. Yeah. Come on, Sony. All right, Lee, is there, are there any other characters, any other things that you want to talk about, Madam Webb, or do you think we're at the point where we can wrap up this bad boy? Yeah, let's wrap. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. 
Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I hate saying this about any film because our entire ethos here at Popcorn Podcast is to celebrate cinema, but Madam Web feels like a mess. Everything about it seems to indicate that those involved didn't really want to be there in the end, which is a real shame because you can be sure that no one sets out to phone in a major motion picture like this. It's not how it started, I'm sure of it. But what's the point of releasing it when a film like Batgirl was scrapped over at Warner Brothers? Madam Web seems to have been reworked to the point of incoherence and it painfully shows. I'm giving it one and a half popcorn kernels out of five, which might seem like a lot given the online criticism that's happening, but I liked the cast, I liked the concept, and I loved the complexity of what the crew pulled off in camera. The three Cs. The three Cs. (laughs) That's it. Well, Lee, I can't claim this term, but I want to use it to describe Madam Web. It's a disaster piece, a masterful disaster, in fact. A textbook example of a film that simply doesn't work. I struggled to comprehend while watching how this film came to be in the way it presents on screen. It will forever baffle me and has lit up the internet this week with the same sentiments. As hazy and unsure as our futures are, this film has no idea what direction to take or how. It is a mess. With one of the most unintentionally funny scripts of recent times, the viewing experience quickly becomes a greatest hits of god-awful dialogue you can't help but laugh at. There is no future for Madam Web, but if I'm wrong, Sony's twisted web of connected films can hang me out to dry. I'm going to rate Madam Web half a popcorn kernel. You went with a half. Okay. All right. Mm, I went there. I can, I can see that. No, not much redeeming features there for you? Other The half is because I laughed so much. Mm. That's all, because I kind of ended up surrendering to the chaos. Is it worse than Morbius? Um, yes, it's it's worse than Morbius mm. somehow. Somehow. I wonder what I rated Morbius, actually. I, I go back and listen to that one. <laughs> I actually can't remember, but I think I enjoyed some parts of Morbius. Yeah, I, I think I had a good time generally in Morbius. Maybe it was those shirtless shots. Maybe it was Jared Leto. <laughs> Madam Webb is in Australian cinemas from February 14. And as always, friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one.